0: Now, this topic that we're looking at today is one is that's actually kind of sober. Uh, the Bible's hot topic. Of course, I'm going to be looking at the subject of hellfire. This is part three from our Death, Millennium, and Hell series. Uh, we're going through just getting ourselves re-situ- resituated on the solid foundation of the Word of God. Um, yes. Um, I'm glad to see Matthew. You and Tricia here, of course, you as well, Ruthie and Rachel. Um, The reason I'm picking on them is because we've been talking about this a little bit in our English class this week, and uh, I'm going to try that introduction again, okay? Uh, We've been uh, working on our writing, and I'm sharing a little bit of what I was about to preach this week and kind of connecting those two together. Uh, I have a little bit of an illustration. If you don't mind, we'll we'll get to that uh, as we get closer to it. In preparation for our study this morning, I was reminded of a couple of interesting facts this week. Uh, first of all, I I could probably tell you the temperature of hell right now. I, I checked it this morning, 43 degrees, calling for snow on Tuesday, possibly freezing over. Uh, that's hell, Michigan, by the way. Um, I don't know if I'd want to live there, but... Uh, Those who do, who happen to be watching, God bless you. Um, Another thing that I looked at this week is kind of a sad one. And I want to share a story as we get started to emphasize maybe the lack of understanding that we have today in the subject of hell. Um, There's a story that is told of a farmer who had a peanut patch. And I'm I'm clicking here, and I'm not seeing it move. I'm not sure if I'm missing out. Something, so, oh, you've got a one second, okay, great. I'm going to tell this story, and then if you just progress it to the next slide, and I'll, uh, this farmer had a peanut patch, and in his peanut patch, one day, his son looked out and saw two boys stealing peanuts from the peanut patch, and uh, the farmer's son instantly jumped on it and ran out the door, and the two boys had their two sacks of peanuts, and they went running down the road as fast as they could towards town. Well, the farmer's son was a little distance behind them, so they thought they would be okay. As they turned around a the corner, they were in the, you know, the, the, the main city graveyard. Right as they went by it, there was a stone wall. They thought, let us jump over the wall and hide on the other side of the stone wall. As they did so, they noticed they dropped a couple nuts on the outside, but they hoped that no one noticed and landed on the inside and just stood there quietly. They heard the heavy breathing of the son run by and kept on going. So they relaxed, and there they did. They, they started doing like all good children should do after you've stolen peanuts, is share them fairly. One for you and one for me, right? And they were going through their peanuts, sharing them back and forth. And uh, the farmer's son had given up the chase, and as he came back through, he went by the cemetery, and he heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. And uh, he got a little nervous. In fact, he, he went home to his father all out of breath. and said, Dad. God and the devil are in the graveyard sorting out souls. you got to come with me. And his father said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 that's what's happening. And so the father came back, and sure enough, they crouched outside the wall, and they listened. One for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. The boys on the inside, of course, had just about reached the end, and the one boy said, hey, what do you want to do with those two nuts outside the wall? And the other guy said, ah, I have enough already. You can take him and roast him with the rest. Says that the farmer beat his son back home has been a God-fearing man ever since. Now, we know that there's a lot of misconceptions about what happens with Hellfire. Um, there is, a, I just found this. This was on Princeton University two years ago. Actually, there it is. Um, Obey Jesus or hellfire? Uh, this is kind of some rough stuff. Is that the way God works? Um, and by the way, the hellfire here is talking about ceaseless burning throughout the endless ages of eternity. Um, and there are some more things that, uh, that were, were on this. Quite, quite a, quite a rough, rough picture. Probably this subject, more than any other, has turned people away from Christianity. Because there's a misunderstanding of what the Bible really teaches. We've integrated pagan philosophy into Christianity and created our new thing as Christians. And I'd like to say we need to get back to the Bible, what the Bible teaches. Um, As we get started, um, this is probably not the best slide to hold on. So I'm going to advance to the next slide. And before we get into it, I'd like to just have an additional word of prayer. Father, I'm recognizing as we look at this study, it's not my words, but your word that has power. Please, Father, speak to our hearts through the Bible today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two different Greek words translated hell, Gehenna and Hades. There's actually another one, Tartaru, and I'll just give you a little bit of background. Um, Gehenna means a place of burning where the the body of a a lost person will burn. It's taken from a phrase meaning Valley of Hinnom. It was in the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was a big trash pit, 200 to 300 feet deep. They had fires burning all the time to cover up the smell and constantly keep things going. And whatever the flames didn't burn, the maggots ate. It's just kind of an ugly trash heap, okay? Uh, Criminals were sometimes thrown in there after they were killed, animals, etc. This is Gehenna. Um, Hades, is, even though it's translated hell, it really means the grave. Um, if you remember from our study about the four horsemen, and it said on, after the fourth horseman, it says Hades, or hell, followed him. Actually, that word is Hades, or the grave followed him. So, people would die as a result of this horseman. And that was the picture that was given. The other one, Tartaru, is found in 2 Peter Chapter 2, verse 4, I'm just letting you know, because that's the the oddball out, if I can use that phrase in our definitions. These two are the most commonly used. In the Old Testament, the word that's used is the Hebrew word sheol, which also means grave. So uh, it's kind of helpful just to give you that foundation uh, from a vocab perspective as we start. To help understand this topic, I'd like to answer some questions. And the questions I'd like to answer are, who... What, where, when, how, and why? Okay. Oh, oh, that's all of them. And I I won't necessarily use that, but you will get that as we go through. Um, I believe the Bible is crystal clear on this as we go through. So here's our definition. Hell is used 54 times in the Bible. Sheol or Hades. uh, Of course, I'm looking at the King James Version. Uh, Some of our newer versions use it less because they actually translate Sheol or Hades and save us the difficulty of figuring out which one means what. And uh, the Gehenna place of burning that would be the 53 times and then that tartaroo would be that the 54th time all right is there really a place like hell Uh, i guess that's a great question um let's see what does jesus say do you mind turning your bible with me to matthew chapter 5 matthew chapter 5 and verse 30 so uh just a little bit of a insight here uh and the presentation programs that we use for the slides here, they have a burn effect. And I never use this in any other presentation, so I use it on hell. So you'll see it a lot just because it's the opportunity to use it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, it says, If thy right hand offend thee, who's speaking here? Jesus is speaking. If your right hand offends you, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is profitable for thee that one of your members should perish, and not that thy whole one." Body should be cast into hell. So Jesus actually believed that hell was a place, as a place where not just souls would go, but bodies. Do you see that? Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. The Bible says, "And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So again, we see that picture that hell will be a place where bodies go and Jesus actually believes and is teaching that there is a hell. I think it's important for us to realize that as, as we get started with our, our, our picture here. Before we go to our next one, I realize I have not started our illustration. So if you could uh, kind of just bear with me. We're going to start a fire here. Okay, I'm going to be careful. Um, I promise I'll do it here. I have matches. I know how to use them. OK? Um, here we go. So the reason I'm doing this is uh, there is a text in the Bible that talks about there we go that talks about unquenchable fire. Yes? Uh, some of you may be familiar with the fire is not quenched. And so what I'd like to do today is we're just going to have a fire here. Let me just move that. We're not going to quench. Uh, The word quench means to put out, yes? We're not going to quench that fire. I'm just going to let it burn, okay? And I I think it's going to be a helpful illustration for us when we get to that point. So um, if for some reason you find that I'm getting heavy and theological and you like to just look at the flame, feel free to do so. Um, it's a great illustration. I think it will help emphasize our point. Okay, so let's look at our next point here, our next question. And that is, do the lost go directly to hell? Great question, right? Um, a lot of people teach that when you die, you go directly to heaven or hell. What does the Bible teach? Let's look at Job chapter 21, verse 29. And by the way, when I'm looking at this, I want to be very respectful. I want to be crystal clear. A lot of well-meaning people teach this. Um, uh, One of my favorite books to read is Pilgrim's Progress, and you actually see it in the book Pilgrim's Progress as well. But we're not studying Pilgrim's Progress today, and we're not studying well-meaning preachers. What we are studying today is what the Bible has to say, okay? So it says, Have you not asked them that go by the way, and do you not know their tokens, that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction? They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. That means that... There is a day for destruction, and the wicked are reserved until that time. That, that's uh, interesting in Job. You know the New Testament says the same thing in 2 Peter. Now in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to emphasize I'm reading from the, New, from the King James Version. Uh, the New King Jerusalem actually gives a different reading. I'm going to emphasize that. Their reading makes it feel like there's a purgatory, and I completely disagree with that. So let's look at this. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So you see even Peter, you have Job and Peter saying that there's a reservation until a day. There's a day for punishment and you're reserved until that day. Um, Jesus also talks about this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. You're already in Matthew, probably from before, right? Matthew chapter 13, and let's look at verse, uh, chapter, starting with verse 37. This is Jesus giving an explanation of a parable we gave a little bit earlier in that same chapter. The parable was about the, the man who had a field that he planted with wheat, and then an enemy came in and sowed all the weeds in it and made the weeds grow up, and they figured out what they were supposed to do with that, let them grow together, and at the harvest time, we'll separate them. We'll put the 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 wheat in the barn, and we'll take the weeds and we'll burn them up. And that's the, the picture that we have here. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 starts out, And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares of the children are the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are angels. I mean, I love the way Jesus just spells it out here. And then he continues, and I have it on the screen here. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. So wait, wait. When are the tares burned in the fire? At the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather them which do iniquity and cast them into a furnace of fire. Uh, Verse 49, so shall it be. At the end of the world. Of course, it's speaking of another parable, but the same concept. So, in the end of the world is when this tares burned up takes place. Um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says this For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his word. What word is underlined in this, this passage? The reason why then is underlined is because that's when God gives his reward. Then. I realized this was behind me. And I wanted to be able to see it so it doesn't uh, accidentally get quenched. When will God give his reward? When he comes with, when Jesus comes with his angels, yes? So that is when it takes place. Any questions? This is pretty clear, yes? Yes. So let's look uh, as we continue. When are the unsaved brought out of their graves? Now you remember this. Matthew chapter, uh, John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says that everyone's going to be resurrected. Yes, the wicked and the righteous are all resurrected. The righteous are going to be resurrected at the resurrection of the just. Yes, and they that have done evil, it says here, unto the resurrection of damnation. So there is two resurrections. Uh, We looked at our study on the millennium. That was almost a month ago now. It's hard to believe, yes? And, and in that study, we realized that at the end of a 1,000 years, there was a resurrection of the wicked. It says when a 1,000 years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. We've already read about the resurrection in Revelation 20. And it says, And he, that Satan, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So there's the second resurrection. Uh, all the wicked are raised up uh, because everyone is raised. Everyone's raised up for a judgment. Everyone's brought out for the judgment. Okay. The righteous have already been in heaven. The wicked are resurrected. It says that Satan gathers them together to battle. The numbers as whom this excuse me, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. It's a massive amount of people, and then it says that they will actually, uh, here it is. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. So Jerusalem has come down to planet Earth. It's filled with the righteous. We get this picture. And then you have the wicked surrounding it. And it says, you get the impression that they're about to attack. Yes, from the reading of it as you look at it. And then it says this, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So this is, um, we asked the question, when? Yes? Uh, what does, when does it happen? It's happening at this time. What does the fire and brimstone do to Satan, the sinners? We just read it. It said the word was devour. Um, what does devour mean? Consume it up, right? There's, there's nothing left. When something is devoured, there's nothing left. Um, all right, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. This is the last book in the Old Testament, and Malachi speaks about the end of the wicked. And here's what he says. Behold, the day comes, thou shalt burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be what? Stubble. Now, you know what stubble is? Those of you who've grown up in farming communities, maybe stubble is the, uh, after they've cut down the hay, you have this little bits left over and dried out grass, if you will, right? That burns like this. And when it's done burning, there's really nothing left. Notice what it says next. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. The phrase was burn them up. That it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Uh, I've helped clear land before, as I'm sure many of you have. And it involves knocking down trees, cutting up trees. Um, And what I do when I'm done is I have a bonfire, yes? Yes. And on that bonfire, you put all the brush, you put all the stumps, everything. My goal with putting them in the fire is to do what? To to burn them up. I don't want the stumps anymore, so I put them in the fire, and the fire gets rid of the stumps, so that I don't have to get rid of the stump. That's the purpose, and that's the picture that's being described here in Malachi chapter four, verse one. Jesus says this, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. We'd already looked at this, but we're going to reemphasize it. But rather fear him which is able to, what's the next word? Destroy. So I see the phrase burn up, devour, and now I see this phrase destroy both soul and body in hell. So both are destroyed. When something's destroyed, there's nothing left over. Um, There's a few passages that I think are very important for us to look at. These are passages that are foundational to all Christianity, but for some reason we don't look at them when it comes to this subject. If you don't mind, maybe you can just quote them with me. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is what? And the gift of God is what? Do you see there's death on one side and eternal life on the other? Please note what it doesn't say. Eternal life in hell, eternal life in heaven. It says death or eternal life. Let's look at our next one. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not Perish, but have everlasting life. I have that, again, that option. Perish or everlasting life. It just says whoever should not have everlasting life in hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. It doesn't say that. It's very clear there's two choices. Perish or everlasting life. And the last one is 1 John 5.12. Michael read it for us today. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. Is it confusing? It's really not. Very simple being laid out. And again, I want to be kind and respectful. Many well-meaning people who are Christians say, there, there's hell that's burning for the ceaseless ages of eternity. But the Bible, while wow, there are some inklings to that. We're going to look at them, by the way. There are some verses that kind of say, maybe that really, what does that mean? We need to look at those, but the overall underlying foundation of scripture is life versus death, salvation versus destruction. Uh, That is the underlying underlying foundation. So what happens to Satan in hellfire? Isn't he in charge? You remember as a kid? Maybe you don't remember as a kid. I remember as a kid. I liked cartoons. And they always presented Satan as what, what right? that red kind of beast with a pointed tail and red leotards on and, and little um, horns, right? And he had a pitchfork, right? And he used it to help people roast on both sides. That was the picture we got, right? And so who was in charge of hell? Satan was. It was kind of his own domain. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, not, not but, but first let's look at a few passages here because I think that's coming up. Ezekiel 28 verse 18 says, speaking of of uh, the king of Tyre, who was a representative of Lucifer in this passage. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. Never shalt thou be any more. Ashes. There's no body left. All I can say is praise God. Because Satan will be gone. The tempter will no longer exist. If you have lived in in this world, all of us have, with the, the attacks of the tempter, raise your hand. If you have lived in this world with the attacks of the tempter, go ahead and raise your hand. I just want to see who's awake. If some, Okay? All of us. Am I right? I'm going to be glad when temptation's gone. I'm going to be very, very thankful. Are you inspecting the flame there, Charlie? Oh, just thank you, sir still going, isn't it? Have we quenched it? No, we haven't. It goes on. This is uh, 1 John 3.15. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Is Satan a murderer? Absolutely. Does that mean he's going to have eternal life? No, he can't because he's a murderer. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Crystal clear. If Satan was in charge of hell and he lived forever, would he have eternal life? Yes. Just letting that sink in because this is a very clear point. Let's look at our next one Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for humans. What's it say? The devil, God never planned hell for humanity. Sin goes to hell. The originator of sin goes to hell. They're perpetuators of sin. His angels go to hell, but it wasn't planned for humanity. But it will take care of sin. And if those who wish to keep and not be connected with God, it will be their choice. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that because there's, there's some problems that we have that we need to work through here clearly. So what happens to the wicked after they've been turned to ashes? Psalms 37, verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. You can't, that, that's, that means there's a cessation of existence. Shall not be. Verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. Into smoke shall they consume away. Now, um, I actually share this illustration at Harmony. And just as I got to this point, smoke went up. And there was nothing left. It's kind of dramatic. Because it's smoke consume away. There's nothing left. What a What a picture. Um, this doesn't sound beautiful, but there is a reason why it's beautiful, and I'm hoping to explain that briefly. For the Lord, day of the Lord, is near upon all the heathen, and they shall be as though they had not been. God, through his prophet Obadiah, says that the wicked will be as though they had not been. Does this sound like writhing in the flames of hell for the ceaseless ages of eternity? No, it doesn't. Um, So what will God do after the wicked are destroyed? Revelation 21, verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. God will recreate this world. Uh, What a beautiful, beautiful thing. There are seven Bible truths about hell that we've learned. Uh, Briefly, I want to go through them. No one is in hell today. Remember, we are reserved for the day of judgment. We see that both Old and New Testament. Second, people enter hell with their bodies. Um, It's not just something for the soul. Jesus said it's for the body. Um, Hell takes place when? At the end of the millennium. We saw that in Revelation chapter 20. The next point. Hell is on the face of the earth. Again, we saw that in Revelation 20. The camp of the saints is surrounded by the wicked under Satan's leadership, and then fire comes down from heaven. That's not some subterranean cavity in the earth. That is on the face of the planet. Um, Next, God is in charge of hell. Satan is not. Uh, Connected with that, Satan himself is cast into hell. Uh, we see that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. It's um, <laughs> actually more clear than what we looked at in Ezekiel chapter 28. Crystal clear. Satan himself will be there. And then those in hell will be destroyed. And the reason we emphasize that is they will not be kept in torture. God's goal is not torture, God's goal is the extermination of sin. God's goal is not torture, it's the extermination of sin. Um, however, there's some false teaching that is going on. Uh, and I'm going to give you, if you don't mind, we'll look at one piece. This is a preacher, a pastor. Oh boy. Did someone blow this out? No one did, did they? But it's gone. You remember that candle? Here it is. No longer there. Did anyone quench it? No. Why did it go out? It ran out of fuel. So, back to our our, our point here in false teaching. Here it is. This is from a pastor from Newport, Rhode Island. His name? Samuel Hopkins. The smoke of their torment shall send up forever in the sight of the blessed before their eyes. This display of divine character and glory will be in favor of the redeemed. And most entertaining. Can you believe people would say this? You know, there is one atheist who said, "I believe that the that the concept of eternal torment was created because that's what humans want to be in them. That's what humans are naturally in themselves. They want to torture people, so they created a god that was like them." I found that very interesting. I actually agree with him, but I digress. Let's continue. He went on and said this, and the highest pleasure to those who love God. Should the eternal torment and fires be extinguished, it would be a great a great measure, put an end to the happiness and glory of the blessed. You say, how could that ever be preached? Still preached today. I have an article. I got to be careful. I, I got sidetracked on the article this morning. I was, you know, you ever yell at a, at a screen? What are you thinking? You you know, you get frustrated what people are writing. That's what I was thinking. Somehow people are taught, and I mean this with kindness, that the sovereignty of God demands the torture of humans for billions of trillions of years. That God's sovereignty demands that. God's divinity demands that. And I say, nowhere does the Bible ever teach that. But let's look at it. Yes? Before I um, some of you heard of Charles Darwin. He says, I can't imagine anyone would wish Christianity to be true. And he quotes this. Bertrand Russell, a famous atheist, said the same thing. He goes, This is not human. This is not a human. This is not humane. Let me rephrase that. This is not a humane thinking. I want you to imagine, if you don't mind, um, I go on a mission trip, and uh, I see this uh, poor orphan living out in the middle of nowhere, and I say, I want you to be my son. And so I take this poor orphan and bring him home to be with me as my son here in the United States, and uh, I give him the very best education I can. Put him at Bayberry School, right? And then um, I, uh, I, I, I get him the very best clothes that I can buy. Yeah, it may not be wealthy clothes, but I get him the best I can get him, right? And I make sure that we feed him a healthy diet so he lives a long life. I do everything that I possibly can for that little boy. But then he runs away. He leaves me. Scorns my love. And so I call my friends together and say, let's get him back. And we go out with our chains to find him. This is totally an illustration. (laughs) And I grab him when I find him and I wrap him in chains and I take him to the basement of my house and I tie him up spread eagle. And then I get a little fire started and I put my brand and iron in the fire. You say, man, he thinks of stuff like this. I heard another preacher use this illustration. It's not from my own. And he takes it and, 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 and I put it on his body and watch him scream in pain until he passes out. And I take cold water and throw it on to bring him back. And I do it again. See, that's what you get for scorting my love what would you say about me? You would say I was satanic, would you not? You would say I was possessed and that I was a devil worshiper, yes? And you would say that I should be put away and never be allowed out again. And yet we attribute that to God. We say that's what God's like. And we quote preachers who preach it But not verses that say it. You say, wait a minute, Chuck, I have a couple questions. Let's look at them. What about forever and ever? Fair enough. Let's look at it, okay? So, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11 says this, and this is part of the three angels' message. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Okay, what does that mean? Well, first of all, What does it mean? Let's look at a few passages, okay? Can you go with me to Jonah chapter 2? So Jonah's in the Old Testament. If you're like me, I always have to go through my little song in my brain to remember where Jonah's at. Uh, But I happen to just turn to it right now, so I'm very happy for that. But Jonah's before Micah, and it is after Obadiah and Amos, okay? So Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. Jonah's describing his experience when he's in the belly of the whale. Um, Can you imagine what that would have been like? (laughs) sucked down into this hot, humid, disgustedly smelling slime pot with putrefying fish wrapped around you, right? Uh, Fish smell bad enough before they start going bad. If any of you cook with fish, you know what you have to do. You have to open up your windows when you cook. Am I right? So... Uh, That being said, here he is. Here's how he describes it. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. What? Forever? Well, I bet it would have felt like forever. But notice what God says in Jonah 1.17. I says 19, that is a mistype on my part. It's Jonah 1.17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days, and three nights. Well, they described it as forever. Um, let's look at the next one, First Samuel chapter 1, verse 22. So in 1 Samuel, we actually see the story of Samuel, which the, who the book is named after. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, we read about Hannah. Hannah has prayed for Samuel. She's promised to give Samuel to the Lord uh, when it's time. And here's what it says in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 1. But Hannah went not up, that's to the sanctuary, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And verse 28 says, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. She's now speaking to Eli. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Wow. So for her, forever, is as long as he lives. For Jonah forever was three days and three nights. Uh, it's kind of like an idiom. We use that today, right? It's raining cats and dogs. We don't mean it's raining cats and dogs. We mean it's really coming down. Uh, let's just say I told you, you know what? This this last hurrah of winter is too much for me. Okay? I'm walking to Florida. Right? And some of you would say, no, Chuck, that's going to take you forever. That's going to take you forever. Would it take me forever to walk to Florida? No, it'd take a long time, but not forever. And so we use that expression today. That was often used in the Bible. 56, well, I'm coming to that slide. Oh, one last one. There with Exodus 21, verse 5 and 6. You can turn there and look at it if you'd like. But what they said is, if, uh, if a slave says, I don't. I want to remain a slave for the rest of my life. I don't want to be set free because my, my family lives here and I want to stay with them. That, that slave could go to the doorpost and he could take his, his ear and put it up against the doorpost and they would pierce his ear to show with all. Yeah, it sounds owls, how I pronounce it, owl. Um, which means that you're going to forever be a slave. By the way, that's with the original meaning of pierced ears. Anyhow, just a thought. Okay, so forever a slave. Do you see a bunch of, you know what it says? Do you see a bunch of slaves running around today when you go to Palestine with pierced ears? No. Forever meant as long as they would live. Does that make sense? It says in the Bible they're going to be slaves forever, but it meant as long as they would live. Notice how David uses it. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even Unto death. How long is forever? Until you die. Okay. Uh, The word forever is used 56 times in the Old Testament with things that have already ended. That's the way the Bible used it. Almost as you and I would use an idiom or connected to as long as we live. And it's from the uh, Hebrew word olam. The word forever in the original is always defined from the nature of the thing itself. When it's applied to human affairs and specifically to human individual men, it commonly signifies all the days of life. So if, just in case you like the theological terminology. So what about this next one? What about unquenchable fire? Now, we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, yes? Unquenchable, let's look at the passage, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. "'Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor,' Gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This means a fire that cannot be quenched. We didn't quench the fire that was here, but it went out because it ran out of fuel. An unquenchable fire is not a fire that burns through the ceaseless ages of eternity. It's a fire that burns until it accomplishes its purpose. Let me give you a passage, Jeremiah chapter 17. Let's look at, I think we have it on the screen, do I not? Uh, I'm speaking to myself. There it is, Jeremiah 17, 27. If you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Did that happen? yes. Is there a fire burning today in the gates of Jerusalem? No, because it accomplished its purpose. It was never put out. And that's what it means by an unquenchable fire. Um, I hope you don't mind me doing these what abouts, right? Because I think it sometimes helps us to look at it. What about this one? And this is, uh, what about eternal fire? Uh, are you ready? Let's look. Jude Chapter 1, only chapter in there, verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. Are Sodom and Gomorrah burning today? No, they're not. In fact, here's what Peter says. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So Jude said they suffered eternal fire. And then Peter says they were turned to ashes. What does that mean? It means that the results of the fire were everlasting. No more would Sodom and Gomorrah be built. It would no longer exist. It was done. Everlasting fire, eternal fire, is one in which the results are eternal. No more existence of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's supposed to be an example to those who live wickedly. No more existence, but turn to ashes. Um, if we follow it to its ultimate conclusion. I think I have a few slides to help explain this. Here it is. An eternal fire is one whose effects or results are eternal. Everlasting punishment is one punishment whose effects or results are eternal. God doesn't say ever in the Bible, everlasting punishing. He says everlasting punishment. You will not go through a punishing process forever, but the results of the punishment will be eternal. That is a picture that we see. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Um, Matthew 25, 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Please notice the results of the life are eternal. The results of the punishment are eternal. And we've already seen it's perishing versus life. It's destruction versus life. He that hath the Son has life. He that hath not the Son of God has not life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, um, yes. Everlasting punishment is not everlasting punishing. And we just read this or just quoted this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, here's the thing. Sin separates from God. Isaiah chapter 59, okay? Sin separates us from God. Sin ultimately is a breaking of the Ten Commandments, which is love to God and love to our fellow man. So not loving God, not loving our fellow man, maybe even take it one step further, being selfish thinking only about me and no one else, that's antithetical to God because God is pure love. Selfishness, sin, can't exist in the presence of God. Impossible. So you say, how are we alive now? The mercies of God were not consumed, friends. Never forget it. The reason you and I sit and stand, are alive here today is because God's mercy Sin brings death, bottom line. But we're here today because God had mercy on us. We're here today because there is hope, because Jesus Christ came and took the penalty for us. Now, if the penalty for our sin was burning for the ceaseless ages of eternity, Jesus didn't pay the price. The penalty was separation from God, which brings death. And Jesus did pay that price. I'd like to share a story with you that is also from Michigan. In 1973, dairymen in Michigan noticed that there was a problem among their cattle. Uh, there, uh, There was a drop in milk production. There was having quite a few stillborn deaths. Uh, They started having death in in the cattle. Cows were getting thinner. And they're trying, what in the world is happening? And uh, most people kind of just said, "Eh, let's not worry about it. But Rick Halbert wasn't like that. He wanted to find out what's going on. He was a dairyman. What's going on with my cows? And so he started doing research and found a cover-up. Can't imagine that, right? Had taken place. When they were preparing feed, some fire retardant had got mixed in with the feed. And the fire retardant had something called polybrominated biphenol. I have no idea what that is. But some of you here know what that is. PBB. Yeah, that was good. And it, it was destroying these animals, but the, the, the resulting disease they got was transmittable. So it was going from one to another. And when they realized that, they started getting a little nervous. And there was a fear, of course, that it would be transmittable also. To humans. Um, What do you do? You didn't have a choice. There is only one thing you could do, and that's you had to exterminate. You had to get rid of all the cattle. 30,000 head of cattle, one and a half million poultry had been infected and had to be removed. They said that dairymen wept that day as they saw what had to take place. But it's an extermination that had to take place. See, God's not after sinners. God's after sin. And a pure and holy God, when sin comes into his presence, it just gets consumed. And it's of God's mercies that you and I haven't been consumed. But there will come a day when the decisions are final and people say, you know what? I will never choose God, never. And God knows that. And he says, I have to get rid of sin. God's not out to get revenge, friends. Although I will say, God knows the injustice that's been done on this planet and God will avenge his people. There's this two sides of that coin I'm looking at. Why God loves sinners, he will avenge his people. And he will pronounce justice so that sin is removed and righteousness can reign. Is that, we as humans struggle, because sometimes we love sin and hate the sinner. Am I right? But God's not like that. Praise God he's not like us, amen? And uh, he doesn't see things that way. There's a passage in Ezekiel 33 that I love. Some of you um, are familiar with, uh, familiar with it. Say unto them as I live, says the Lord. So who's speaking? God, the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Does this sound like a God who wants people to to choose something different? No. No. You know, some of you have asked me in the past, Chuck, how do I know about this person's salvation or that person's salvation? And you know what my response always is? God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That's end goal. If there's ever a a way for God to say, I'm getting you in, he will. If he knows you wouldn't want to be there, God's not going to put you through torture and being in heaven. Let's think about it. If the only thing you want in life is immorality, if the only thing you want in life is deception, if the only thing you want in life is to look at yourself, God's going to say, you know, heaven's just not going to be fun for you. I'm going to let you be as though you had not been. This message actually vindicates God of love and it also vindicates his sovereignty because I want you to imagine if there was an open pit somewhere in this universe where people would be burning for the ceaseless ages of eternity then sin would never be done away with and God would always have competition this is removing it forever the good news is he's given us mercy He's given us mercy. You know, I stand before you not as a person, uh, quite frankly, who's worth much. Apart from God, I'm worth nothing. But I can tell you, I praise God that He sent His Son for me. And it wasn't just me, it's for you. It's of His mercies you're here. That's awesome. I know that you love him. At the same time, I must ask, do you want to be with him? Do you want to say, God, take my sinfulness out and fill me with your love? I mean, I want to say that. I want that experience. Do you want that kind of experience? I do. God wants to take our messed upness And sometimes we humans, we put people in boxes, don't we? Praise God, God doesn't put us in a box. God looks at one person and says, man, they're in the right place. And we'd say, they're not in the right place. And God says, you don't know what you're talking about. And then we could look at another person and say, man, they're okay. And God says, "Mm, I'm working on them. Right? God is calling out. And today I want to remind you of this. He that has the son has life. I want the son. And I pray that for all of us. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus Christ so that we can have life. We've earned death, but you have given us life. And we praise you for it. Lord, take our sin. Forgive us, we pray. And lead us in your paths, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.